This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. We are ready to go. Locked and loaded. Cup cars on the racetrack. The wait is over now. The green flag goes in the air. This race has officially been called. Jimmy Johnson has won the Advanced Auto Parts Clash. Take me on, cause I'm taking off. kickoff of NASCAR America right here from Charlotte, North Carolina. Got Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett, the Mayor Jeff Burton. I'm Steve Latart. Guys, weekend one in the books, a little qualifying, the clash from Daytona. What'd you think, DJ? What's the takeaways from weekend one? Hmm, looked like Hendrick Motorsports uh, did a lot of work. Maybe they they might have <laughs> worked right through Christmas uh, in doing that. Very impressive qualifying-wise. And then... Uh, I think a rejuvenated Jimmy Johnson. I saw a driver that uh, wasn't going to let anything stand between him and being the guy to get the trophy. It took one race, Steve, for people to be mad at each other. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think spells great things for the year. That's what we want. We want action. We want competition. We want people going for it, going for the win. The rain was coming. Jimmy Johnson made a move. That's what we want our drivers to do, and that's what we got. Yeah, listen, I'm going to jump right in. I know there was a lot of conversation about that move Jimmy Johnson made. I think the rain forced him into that move. I didn't see anything wrong with it. I saw plate racing. He had a run coming off two. The run down the backstretch turns the inside of Paul Menard. Did he side draft? Yes. Did he need a side draft? Yes. It looked like there was going to be contact, but there really wasn't until the 21 came down. Now, unfortunately, it took out basically we'll call it the whole field and that was the move that ended the race i know there was some conversation about the double yellow line that doesn't really come into play for wrecking i saw a clean move jeff burton you've won at plate tracks what did you see well i saw 15 cars wrecked so i mean clearly it wasn't a completely clean move it was a it was a move you see on a plate race cars running that closely together there was a reason they were single file you know what i mean if you, if you don't want to expose yourself to danger what do you do you go single file so the minute that an aggressive move got made, there was contact, around they went, and a big wreck. So, but that's the things you're going to have to do. If you're going to win on a plate race, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to have to make an aggressive move. Jimmy Johnson didn't turn left, then turn the wheel back right, intending to spin a guy out directly in front of him. That wasn't the intention. That's certainly what happened in regard to the contact, but it wasn't the intention to wreck Paul Menard. Paul Menard didn't do anything wrong. He got run into. That's the way I saw it, but it wasn't because Jimmy Johnson was wanting to wreck him right in front of him yeah. in the entire field. That was not Jimmy Johnson's thought process. I will say I felt really good that Jimmy Johnson didn't sound too disappointed that he did wreck him. I like that. A yeah. little swagger. What I mean is basically he was like, yeah, yeah, they wrecked. I won. They wrecked. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, in a time and a world now that we seem to want to automatically put blame on someone, sometimes, especially in this sport, things just happen, you know, that people are trying. And, and sometimes when you're trying, then especially uh, in plate racing, 
some contact is going to be made. And it, at the speeds that you're running, it doesn't take much to send that off. When it happens at the front of the pack, uh, obviously it can take out 14 or 15 cars. Uh, Mother Nature stepped in and didn't make us watch four cars race for the win, <laughs> uh, thankfully with that. But you know, it was exciting. It was a great move. And, and I don't think Jimmy Johnson had anything uh, to be uh, apologizing for. He's racing. You, you, go, you start that race with the idea that the only thing that makes any difference is winning and getting the trophy. And uh, I think Jimmy did an outstanding job of understanding the situation. You know, this all started back as they came off a of turn two. You can see him drop back right here. He's trying to get the one of Kirk Bush on his bumper to give him a really good push, and he did that. This is exactly how you utilize the draft and a car helping you make this pass. You can see the huge run that he got. Paul Menard's in a situation that's a great position to be in, to lead, but you're in no man's land, Jeff. The other thing I think played a huge issue in that is look at the bottom lane. There were cars yes. in the bottom lane, and so you're, you, you, as a driver, there were all the weathers coming from turns three and four heading onto the racetrack. So as a driver, and Jimmy Johnson said it, he was watching the weather. He felt like that they were going to race until the, the, the rain came. So if you're Jimmy Johnson, you're driving your race car, you're looking, you're seeing that bottom lane coming, you're looking at the weather, you're saying this could be the last lap. You hang a left knowing that somebody is going to go with you or not, but if they don't, there's help coming from behind. So that was a time that he saw the move that he needed to make if he was going to win the race. I found, to me, the most compelling part of that race was what was Paul Menard going to do? Because if I'm Paul Menard and I'm leading the race and I know weather's coming, I can't just keep riding around the, back, the top. I know everybody's following me to the top, but you know what? If he'd have drove to the bottom, they'd have drove to yeah. the bottom with him. So that, to me, I'm not saying Paul Menard did anything wrong. I'm just saying that was a very very difficult decision that Paul Menard was going to have to make. When do I go to the bottom? Because at some point, and that's what Jimmy Johnson did, you get a big run getting into the corner, you hang a left, and some people are going to go with you, and Paul Menard is no longer the leader. Well, fortunately, we have a little bit of sound from everyone involved. We'll see what the driver's take was on this incident. Jimmy's a seven-time champion. I've got a lot of respect for him, but and we come to these play tracks, and he uh, he causes at least one wreck every play track. I made a move and got to the inside, and was side drafting him, and his car started wobbling. So I don't know what caused it. And he stayed in that no zone. I I call it the no zone in that left rear quarter panel for way too long. It's the last way I want to win a race. I just drug Menard around with him. I didn't drive through a car and, and create a wreck. <laughs> Sometimes your final. Your, your move is your last move because the cars are so unstable. Kurt was in here and felt like you were, he called it the no zone, hung on the uh, left rear quarter panel of the 21 too long, and also passed below the yellow line. Your, your uh, comments to that. So he wants the trophy. <laughs> I'd politic advise him too. Why not? <laughs> If that's the 2019 version of Jimmy Johnson, I can't wait because it's going to be good. So the, the no zone, I, I didn't get the email or the bulletin. I wasn't aware of the no zone. Obviously, Kurt had a strong opinion that he, it seemed like everybody should know you can't be in that situation. But if you can't get to somebody's right rear quarter panel as a crew chief, I want to see my driver get to, sub, to a quarter panel on either side. That's the only chance you have of going by. Well, you can't just pull over there and not have an effect on the car. You've got to be there for a certain period of time to make that work. If you just if you just make the path and you just slide over and back, you're not really slowing that car down any. You have to slow that down. And not only does that slow that car down a little bit by packing that air, but that allows the car behind you to get to your bumper and give you the push that you need. You have to stay there for a certain period of time. And I didn't really realize, I never 
thought of it when I was driving that there was a certain amount of time that I had to be there and then I had to vacate that lot. You probably thought about it when somebody else was there, though. Well, I did, maybe, so you're exactly right. And really, the only guy that's putting much blame on anything is the man that, that was leading the race, yeah, and that's right. understandable. Right. Yeah. If, if you're Paul Menard, you're not mad, something's wrong, right? Yeah. You're leading the race, next thing you know, you're getting turned around. He didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But, you know, one thing that I have experienced in driving these cars, and, and, and it always amazed me, is how, you know, some, you'd be going down the back straightaway at Daytona, Talladega, and somebody would pull up next to you. And it would suck your car to yeah. them. It, mm. It's the weirdest thing. Wow. The, 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 this car with the real flat sides and the real long quarter panels, it really, for just a second, it moves you closer to the car without you turning the wheel. You're holding the wheel straight and your car all of a sudden moves to it. I heard uh, Chase Elliott make a comment after yeah. his wreck in, in, the, uh, in practice that, you know, these cars move other cars around mm. and it actually pulls you to the other car. Just not for long, but just a split second. And, in a wreck like that, you have to wonder, because I don't believe that Jimmy Johnson turned left, turned right. You know what I mean? It happened yeah. that quick. And it, it, listen, it's a problem with slow motion. Yeah. Like you and I, <laughs> yeah. sat, in the, you and yeah, I yeah. sat in these cars, and you're like, I'm going to make the move. And next thing, oh, God, what happened? You know, that's how it happens. That's right. how quick it happens. And, you know, it's slow motion has made a lot of people look silly. But the truth of the matter is things happen really, really quickly, and many times it's completely out of your control. Well, that was the move, but I was maybe perhaps even more shocked about the race. The move didn't surprise, I mean, that's plate racing, I've seen it for decades now, but the race, this is normally a sprint, even with weather in the area, you would, I would expect it to get even crazier. It was anything but. It was a very, I don't want to use the word mundane, but on television, watching a very single file, very orderly run around the top, I have my opinion on why both of you guys have sat in the seat. Why are we seeing single file around the top of Daytona? Well, I think the, the repave has, repay has something to do with it. And, and you brought up something there, Jeff, that I really wasn't where I've seen these cars move at times, but I didn't know exactly what was taking place because I, I've been a little perplexed in some of the comments that I've heard about the cars driving bad. They look to me like they drive too good, and, and that's part of the reason that you can run around the top, keep things going, and everybody follow. Once somebody gets up there, it's kind of a follow, and, and until you get somebody from fifth, uh, or so to drop down and start that inside and then there's only four cars there trying to have somebody starting that line on the bottom from eighth or ninth spot it, it's going to be a tough march up through there because if you keep seven eight cars in a line they're going to be faster and you're going to have a harder time with that but I really thought the cars were driving too good but now that you say maybe that's what they're talking about that they drive bad it's when somebody gets close to them. I, I think that's what it looks like to me is that you, you can see the cars moving around and I think they're just apprehensive to be side by side. They want to try to be single file. And I also think that Talladega, the fall Talladega race taught everybody something. If I can find some people to run with, maybe we can get away from these people. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe working together, even if they're not my teammates, maybe working together with some, with a group of cars can separate me from that wreck that's getting ready to happen. Uh, that has to have something to do with it as well. Well, and I, I think it is teammates. My blame on the single file is multi-car teams working together, organizations working together. You can't unlearn. That's our big joke. You can't unlearn about aerodynamics. Well, every speedway race, the field gets smarter. And when you look at this field, they're just working together. Stuart Haas did it. Hendrick did it. Go all the way back to 2016, the Daytona 500. Joe Gibbs Racing, Toyota's led. What I saw was a group of Fords, specifically a group of Penske Fords, including the Wood Brothers, and once second and third doesn't want to pass the leader, I feel then the leader has the confidence to drive to the top and doesn't think somebody's going to look underneath them. So 
I don't think it has anything to do with rules. You can put any rule in there you want. I think yeah. that as long as you have two or three cars working together, they're going to tow the field. The only thing that goes against that is that when people tried the bottom, it didn't work. Yeah, they and didn't get there were line. There were yeah. times that there was seven, eight, nine cars on the bottom, and the outside lane was going by them. And that's the part I don't understand. I don't know why now with this car, with this rule, why is the outside lane so much better? I don't. I don't know how to explain it. We've we've seen with different rule packages, different results on in races, but but what I saw Sunday. The outside lane was just plain and simple faster with equal number of cars in both lanes. Yeah, here's one thing that I did see that if somebody is willing in that outside lane, as that inside uh, lane forms and they start to go forward, all it takes is one guy in the outside lane to do a little bit of a side draft on a door, not to where he gets anything, but he separates that car and then all of a sudden they're not lined up as much. So any gain that they may have made, it, it, that one car gets out there then, and then he's got two car lengths, and it takes some time to reform all of that. And then somebody says, well, this isn't going to work. So then they try to jump back up and, and get in that. And it used to be that there was only two guys that I knew that could make that top really people follow them up there and right around that and their last name was the same Earnhardt yeah. one of them just had junior after it so that's all I know. they used to be able to do it and people follow them wherever they wanted to go so what you're seeing is that they're more sensitive to right side yes. side drafting yes. so if you side draft a guy on the right versus the left you can slow that car slow down. that down and then it just yeah. separates him from that and it breaks that up well one thing i did know though is the clash wasn't the only race in daytona this weekend after the break we're going to hear from the winner Jeff may not tell us, but he's the father of the winner. That's your hint. <laughs>The Dale Jr. Download returns with a brand new 60-minute episode. Dale will be joined by two men who played a big role in his success at Daytona, both Tony Urie Sr. and Tony Urie Jr. That's Tuesday, 5 p.m. right here on NBCSN. Yes, Eckes lined up behind him. And it's going to be a drag race to the finish line, and it will be the 18-year-old. Picking up his third ever ARCA win, but not bigger than the Daytona 200. All right, I got to know. What's more <laughs> nerve-wracking, winning a race or watching your son? Man, watching a uh, watching a plate race at Daytona is nerve-wracking anyway. <laughs> then you do watch your son do it. Uh, it takes it to a whole other level. I can't even imagine, but yeah, I, I know it's a... You're not going to sit here and brag on him, but I'm going to. I don't mind doing it because uh, I would say this whether you were sitting here or not. I watched that race and was very impressed with everything that he did from the very beginning because we know that the, the ARCA races can be uh, very interesting at times. I was with, wondering with where he was going, going with on. that. Yeah, but uh, he, he made every move. He, I, if I wouldn't have known who was driving the car, I would have thought that it was someone that had been doing that for quite a while and been to Daytona a number of times because he did everything just like you're supposed to. You have to be very proud of him, the fact, but I know you gave him some good coaching too. Well, thank you. I, I, I'm proud of the, the work that he's put in. You know what I mean? You don't. He, he did everything he needed to do on that day, but it was because of all the work that he that he and the group of people around him have put in, and really that doesn't include me. It's a lot of people that are working with him, and uh, I'm proud of the effort that's gone into it. Really you know, proud. One thing I loved was the excitement. You know, we talk about Daytona with the 500 coming up, Daytona 500, but I think we lose fact that it doesn't need to be the 500. It's yeah. still Daytona. What that track is, I was fortunate enough to be at the Rolex a few weeks ago. It meant so much to the sports car guys. This was an ARCA race, and it was instantly obvious to me what Daytona meant to Harrison. And this is a kid since... 
birth. He's been at racetracks. He's seen you win at different racetracks. But winning at Daytona is different than other racetracks. I think he's seen me screw it up enough that he was... <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when he was a... Uh, I don't know, heck, you might have beat me. I don't know. But he was like five or six. And, and we were... It was late at Daytona, and we were leading and running well. And, of course, the caution came out, you know, at the wrong time. And then it all shuffles up, and I don't win. I go to the motor home to go home, and he's bawling, like crying. He cried from the infield at Daytona to Huntersville, North Carolina. He oh. cried the whole way. So I think he probably remembered that. Yeah, it is. but it's so tough to win a race. I don't care what you're doing oh, and, and, and which series it is. It's being there and doing the right things that you have to do, not making any mistakes. He had a lot of restarts there that he has to do. That might seem simple. And for veteran drivers, yeah, you still get a little bit nervous as a veteran because you've got to get up through the gears, do everything right, and make all the right moves. But as an 18-year-old being there for the first time, and, and doing that, that, that was really impressive too. But I, I think that Toyota has to be really excited. Yeah. Uh, their drivers uh, for the future uh, with he and Todd Gillen, they finished first and second right there. And that was really impressive and gives them a lot to look forward to and all of us to, to watch these young men. Well, I got in trouble at dinner because I didn't have the chance to watch it on television, but I followed your wife on Twitter. So if you ever want to know how Harrison is running in a race, it's the best <laughs> feed ever. But here's the reaction is it's not priceless. I love the family reaction from the win, the big hug. Although I have seen uh, Mrs. Burton's reaction to race wins before for more than just his son. It looks a lot like uh, when the guy sitting next to us won a race as well. Yeah. Well, look at, look at, yeah. this is the first Jeff Burton on the left, the first Harrison Burton on the right. I think that's the same. I actually think she's a little more excited for Harrison. Well, I would hope. I would hope she is. That should be, right? That's the way it should be. But, uh, yeah, just a, a great family story and, and something that y'all have, you know, forever. They're uh, winning that first race at Daytona. Incredible. So what's the year look like? This is ARCA, but he's got more than ARCA. He trucks. Yeah, it's a full truck program with Kyle Busch. So, yeah, full truck program. That's the, that starts Friday night. So trucks Friday night. And then uh, he's got some more ARCA races coming up. He's got a full, it's still a late model program. We've run a race already in a late model. So, yeah, it's uh, it's about 39, 40 races. <laughs> if you thought ARCA at Daytona was stressful, oh. just wait till Friday night Friday in the trucks. Night. I've heard Marty, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not even sure if he's going to watch that at all. It's going to be exciting. So, congrats to Harrison. It's always great to win at Daytona. After the break, we're going to talk about qualifying. Hendrick Motorsports dominant in qualifying at Daytona. We'll see how they fare when the 500 comes. To be able to come here and do that, I think, speaks volumes about what they've been able to do. But it's more than just the last five years. If you look at the front row starts that, that we've had, and then if you take it to the next level and you look at how close all four cars are in speed, and we just don't have that one random outlier, pretty impressive. means the world to me, I'll be honest. I've, I've wanted to be crew chief on this 24 car for as long as I can remember. So to be able to do that and come out here and sit on the front row and sit on the pole with uh, with Alex has just been, you know, been fantastic. Uh, to have the 88 second and our other two teammates in third and fourth is really pretty awesome for Hendrick Motorsports. The thing I've seen with Chad so far is just all the attention to, to little things and um, our team follows suit with that. Our, our team kind of approaches it that way. we got a lot of young guys, so uh, it, it's exciting. I, there's a lot of energy with our team. I'm uh, really proud of Hendrick Motorsports and getting one, two, three, four is a really special thing and it, it's cool to be a part of it. You know, you always want to be on the pole, so wish we were one spot better, but uh, proud of the 24 team and hopefully we'll be one spot better on Sunday. It's been something we strive to do every year and we've been fortunate to do it five in a row, but uh, man, I, I, to have all four of them up there together, that's something I'm really proud of because 
that means uh, you know we brought equal cars down here so they were kidding William they said you just were lighter <laughs> that's why you got the pole but anyway it was a great day should we not be shocked Chad Canales goes down there with his young driver I remember he did that with Jimmy Johnson years ago now he's done it with William Byron sits on the pole for the Daytona 500 I'm not shocked. Hendrick Motorsports have been qualifying well for a long time. I'm not shocked at all. I'll tell you what I am surprised about, though. If I go back and think about Talladega and the domination of Stuart Haas, right? So at Stuart Haas Racing, they qualified first, second, third, or fourth at Talladega. Hendrick Motorsports was fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Well, now it's swapped. Hendrick Motorsports is there, but Stuart Haas is not. They do not have all their cars. They're not fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth like Hendrick is. So I think Hendrick answered the call. I was really curious. With the dominating fashion that Stuart Haas put on at Talladega, and with this being the last plate race, because after this we go to tapered spacers, who could answer that? Who could find a way in the offseason to do what they did? And, and obviously Hendrick Motorsports did, or Stuart Haas lost a little bit with yeah. the new Mustang. Yeah, I wonder if that's not a little bit of it, that, that they might have lost a little bit. That's not taking anything away from Hendrick Motorsports. Oh, no. uh, you know, they, they went to work, I'm sure, and I used to be drive for a car owner that said, <laughs> okay, the end of the last season happens. The next thing that we focus on is the Daytona 500, and we work for two months. Then we'll worry about the rest of the season after that. And and sometimes the, the rest of the season didn't start out so well a, a few times because we put so much effort into that. But I, I know that Hendrick Motorsports, they have enough people to, to make sure that they're ready for all of these. But after last year, not surprising at all, but I, I think it's so tough at a place like Daytona to come there and put all four uh, there in those top four spots. So I remember it had to be 10 or 15 years ago, back before Hendrick was so fast in qualifying, we tested and we were not very good. And we were in the competition meeting discussing it, and we were kind of nonchalantly not worried about qualifying. And at the end of the meeting, Rick Hendrick said, so just hold on a second, I need to understand something. No one here has been concerned about our single car speed. Why is that? And somebody said, well, because qualifying doesn't matter. And he stood up and he said, well, just to be clear, it matters to me. Doesn't shock me at this point that they've been five poles at Daytona 500 and dominated this time because he owns the company. But I will say I have a little pit of my stomach feel, not for the front row. They're locked in. Mm -hmm. These cars are impounded to the 150s. What that means is the crew chiefs can't touch them. The crews can't touch them. This is what they're going to have all week long. So what about the other two teams, guys? What about the 9 and the 48 who are going to have to roll down there? Why they're going to start great on the front row or their 150. They have to race for a position. We know they're in the 500, but they have to race for the best position. Should they be concerned? Well, I, I think everybody should be concerned. You, you talked about it earlier in the show, how the drivers are talking about how they don't drive well around other cars. But if you're going to win the Daytona 500, you're not going to do it single file. Yeah. I mean, I understand that portions of the 500 will be single file. But when it comes winning time and it comes stage point paying time, you're going to have to be two wide, in some cases three wide. I, I, I think that Hendrick Motorsports also has a history of not having good driving cars. Their cars at Daytona and Talladega, we've seen them spin out. I mean, I think they need to go race in the 150s. They need to go and push their cars and find out what they can and can't so do. So if you're William Byron, you're racing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Heck yes. Yeah, I'm more, concerned. I'm more concerned about the two drivers on the front row that have the locked-in spots that are talking about dropping back already to make sure that that's where they start Sunday. I understand that's an important thing. In 2000, I, got in, I had won the poll, and the very I was coming in – Going down the backstretch is going to get what was a plug check at that time, which we did. 
but we get in at a little bit of a scuffle, tear up the front end of the car and everything. Uh, they repaired it, but we were in the middle of a pack racing right until the final practice was over on Sunday on Saturday afternoon to make sure that we had everything right that we want, and we had the fastest car there. I'm concerned that these two young drivers that are on the front row that don't have that much experience, Chase and Jimmy, I think will be fine. So I'm going the other side. I think those guys need to race. If something happens, then so be it. That's just the way it was meant to be. You've got another good backup car there. I agree with that 100%. You, you have young drivers that need experience. They need to learn how to win the Daytona 500. I sat on a Daytona 500 pole. No one introduces me as a Daytona 500 pole winner. But if you win the Daytona 500, you always get introduced as a Daytona 500 winner. You've got to put emphasis on winning this race. Yeah. It's a huge race. It's a great opportunity to get some momentum. If you get in a wreck in the 150s, it's okay. Hendrick Motorsports has more good, more good right. cars. They're going to be okay. you got to go out there and you got to race hard. Learn what you can and can't do. Well, Thursday night is one of the best nights of the year for multiple reasons. We're going to watch about how well those front row guys race. But another thing that's going to be settled on Thursday night is who starts the Great American Race. Fortunate to have 42 cars in the race. Tyler Reddick and Casey Mears lock themselves in on speed so they don't have to worry about it. But you see those other names, Ryan Truex, Brendan Gaughan, Parker Kligerman, Joey Gates, they need to race their way in. Fortunately for us, Parker Kligerman is right in the middle of it. So Parker, I think we have him on the phone here. We're gonna have a conversation about the excitement and the pressure of trying to race in to the Daytona 500. Good evening, guys. Hey, Parker, tell us, it's not exactly what you wanted on Sunday and qualifying, I know you wanted a name highlighted in yellow. So how well are you going to sleep between now and Thursday? Well, I'll say this. The only thing that's letting me sleep well is that you guys were talking about how bad these cars are driving. And I, I'll tell you, after the first couple practices, because I had not driven one of these cars since it's been slammed on the ground at a super speedway, I got out and thought, man, this thing drives terrible. So I went up to a bunch of different drivers. I'm like, hey, is this how it drives? Does it do this? And every single one of them said, oh, yeah, they drive terrible. That's just the way it is. I felt a little better, and then in qualifying, which is odd to say, even in a single car, I actually felt like our car drove the best it had all weekend. So uh, I know that's an odd thing to say, not out of a pack, but it's it's crazy how these cars are so slammed to the ground. They're so you can feel so much that you can even tell even in a single car run if it actually handles a little better and if it has a little better ride quality. So uh, we'll see. We're in a pretty tough duel. I'd say the toughest one. Uh, you know, we're up against. Ty Reddick in that 31, that full-on RCR car, so uh, that's tough. And then we also have my buddy Ryan Truex, who I would say is like my best friend in as, that's a race car driver. And so literally before qualifying was over, I texted him and said, after I'd added everything up and said, this is going to be awkward. Uh, and and we're, we're no longer friends now. So we've, we've had to break that friendship. Yeah, you guys on Twitter had a little, uh, a little <laughs> spat between friends. I, I didn't know whether y'all were joking or part of that. Well, you know, behind every joke is some seriousness. So how, how serious was that? Well, here's the thing. I mean, we're friends, but what's the saying? All is fair in love and war. So, I mean, you know, we, uh, we've we been friends for a long time. We've, we've uh, always, you know, hung out a lot of times and, and like to talk racing and everything. But now we're talking about going against each other to make the 500 and the way it looks is one of us is going to be in this race and one of us isn't. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, we, we did text each other on Sunday night and said, you know, maybe we got to play this up a little bit, but I don't know. I think it's maybe gone from joking to a bit of seriousness, as you said. So, uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think, you know, it's, a, as you guys said, it's the great American race. We both want to be in it. Um, you know, it means so much to both our teams, to, to everyone who works to get to this level. This is what we all work for. So, 
Um, you guys know, I mean, it, it, you have friends, but when that green flag drops, I'd say it's the last thing on my mind. Okay, Parker, since you're not going to be getting much sleep, you've got plenty of time to think. Do you have a plan kind of put in place? Uh, have you talked to uh, anybody else uh, in your duel that, that may be willing to work with? Or can you take them to dinner and say, hey, I need your help? <laughs> well, that's actually it's a great question. So I, I, as you guys know, it's, a, it's one of those odd weeks that you get to think about it all week. So, uh, you know, we, we have uh, some great partners with Toyota and with our TRD engines. You know, I think there's, there's a, another one of those in our race that you'll see uh, that hopefully could be a friend of ours. And then uh, from there, you know, it's an odd thing because in these races, you know, you've got to race with the intention of beating those other two cars because that's the way we get in. But the same token, you can't risk you know, finding yourself so far up in the pack that you could be at risk of wrecking. So it's kind of a, a catch-22 so many in, in certain points of the race. So I think we got to play it a little bit by ear, but definitely, you know, the plan is first, you know, you got to finish. And then secondly, how do, we, how do we put ourselves in the best position to evaluate at the beginning what we got and then kind of go from there to say, okay, this is what we have. This is where I need to be with X amount of laps to go. And uh, hopefully we find ourselves in that position and, and come out successful at the end. But if I were to say, like, yes, there's a definite plan, I, I would definitely be lying. <laughs> we never really want a complete plan. I do have a question, though. <laughs> Simplify it for the fans. So in your duel, you have Redick, Ryan Chuex, and yourself. Redick is in on time. So what do you have to do to guarantee to in the Daytona 500? So it's, it's a little complicated, as you said. So it, the best the simplest format for myself is that I just beat Tyler Reddick and Ryan Truex. If I do that, we are in the Daytona 500. Um, you know, if, if I don't beat one of those two, then I believe we are out. There's scenarios where, although Ryan and I say, you know, Hey, it's, it's one or the other that's going to make this race. I believe, you know, if, if we were to beat Ryan, there's a scenario he gets in with some of the ways that they finish in the other duel. But for me, I have to beat those two. So we'll know at the end of duel one if we're in the Daytona 500 or not. And I intend to be in that race, so we're going to find a way. Well, I like yeah. the fact that it's simple. If you beat them all, you'll be in the Daytona 500. We wish you luck. But, DJ, you've been in this spot. Oh. Why don't you give them something to think about until <laughs> Thursday? No, I, I yeah, probably should advice. wait. Yeah, I should wait and tell you about this uh, later on. Here, I'm going to give you the advice first. Be going forward at the end. Don't make your move to try to do something to make things happen uh, too early. If you do that, you find yourself getting past and going backwards. And if one of those competitors, if it's Ryan Truex that gets in that right lane, then you see him going by and there's nothing that you can do. So make sure that you don't make that move late in the race uh, too soon and get yourself in a position. But I can tell you guys, so had a lot of success at Daytona. Very fortunate. Parker, you, you, you don't have to listen to this, but so 2000. <laughs> don't listen to this. I'm, 2000, don't worry. I'm, I'm taking notes. 2008 is going to be my last year, my last Daytona 500. We have champion provisionals, but the champion provisionals go by the most recent champion. And our car was, it wasn't fast enough to get locked in that way, but I needed Kirk Bush, who was in the first duel, to just have a good day. Uh, he was driving the Miller Light car and just need, he had trouble. So he wasn't locked into the field. And so now I've got to go race my way in with a car that wasn't that fast. It was the, 
most sickening feeling I think I ever had in a race car that I might not be in the last Daytona 500 I was going to be in. I think every driver should experience this because you would appreciate it. You know, now people get in cars and rides and never have to experience that because they're locked into a field. But I, I think that it gave me motivation, Parker, and you can use this as motivation too, that you have the skills to make this happen. I just knew that I had to make all the right moves. I found myself in between two really good cars, and, and I worked that the whole time and, and got up around fifth or sixth and was able to make it. So I have faith in you that you'll do all the right things too, Parker. Well, I love that success story. So that, that gives me confidence. <laughs> and I think you said it right. We got to make all the right moves. And uh, Landon Castle told me whenever he's asked about what his favorite moment in racing is, he says it's the day he raced his way into the Daytona 500. So I'm yeah. hoping to have that same memory here soon. And, and as you said, it's, it's a sickening feeling, but I can't think there's a better feeling than actually making this successful. So we're looking forward to it. And I think we got a fast Toyota Camry, so, and it's a great-looking Toyota Camry. So it deserves to be in the 500. The Daytona 500 has always been a stressful situation getting in. It just plain and simple has. The last yeah. few yeah. years, we haven't seen as many cars. There were times we go on there, there'd be 60, 62 cars. And I'm telling you, it is one of the most stressful things you can do. Uh, we've all experienced, as older drivers, we've all experienced going down there and like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. I think I qualified three times one week. You could just keep qualifying. Right. And I finally laid a time down on the third run where it, it kind of sort of made us feel pretty good about it. But it is so stressful because it's the biggest race of the year. Yep. Period. That and Homestead are the two biggest races of the year. And mm -hmm. if you're not racing for points, this is it, the Daytona 500. So, Parker, go out there and make it happen, man. We know you can. Hey, well, I appreciate it. You know what? I'm going to chalk you guys up to uh, hashtag Team Parker, not hashtag Team Ryan. So uh, All right. I'm just going to take your support. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You can sign us in. Well, good luck. And thanks to Parker for calling in. It's awesome to have somebody, one of our teammates, down there in the race showing us what it's like. And uh, this is, uh, if you like stories and you like opinions, then you're going to like Monday NASCAR Americas because we're going to be on it most every Monday. Just like this, we talked about the Dale Jr. download on Tuesday. But all of NASCAR America all week long is going to look different. We have Motor Mouth on Wednesday. And I can tell you, we work with some Motor Mouths. So it should be, I think I might be the biggest. <laughs> I'll give you all one guess who the motor, main Motor Mouth is. <laughs> Not here today. <laughs> The motor mouth, like someone that stops, doesn't stop talking? Why every time I get these questions, I always think Clint first? Why am I even screwing around? It's Clint Boyer. <laughs> Boyer talks a lot. Boyer talks a lot of nonsense. Clint's like that you know, just noxious guy that just just jabbering and jabbering. Some people will probably say Clint Boyer, but I actually think it's Brad Kozlowski. I mean, I'd probably put Brad Kozlowski in that category. Hmm. Uh, Brad likes to run his mouth a good bit. Kozlowski, for sure. I think a lot of people would probably say Brad Kozlowski, but I think Kyle Busch. I think we can all run our mouth at, at any particular moment. The one that gets him riled up the most, the most is still Kyle Busch. We all have our ways, I guess. I'm pretty thankful I wasn't an option, so we talked about it. This week, NASCAR Mayor, we had Dale Jr. download tomorrow at 5. You can't miss that with both Tony Urie Sr. and Jr. And then we have NASCAR America Splash and Go, always available every Tuesday on NBCSports.com. Motormouth. Bert, you said we had a Motormouth on the team. Who's the Motormouth? Not me? No. You're close sometimes. Oh, okay. We're all close sometimes. Yeah. We'll have to we, go we all have our moments. Are we? Yeah. Kyle Petty? Kyle Petty. And then NASCAR America, the Motorsports Hour. AJ Allmendinger, I'll be on that. We're going to talk IndyCar, IMSA, NASCAR, all kinds of great stuff. It's going to be a good week. 
Every week's going to have a different look. It's going to be very consistent, though. Us on Monday, Dale Jr. on Tuesday. There's no telling what can happen later in the week. It seems to be four days of really unstructured, good talk about NASCAR racing, all kinds of racing. I like these ideas. I'm yeah. just glad there's cars back on track because that means that we're leading up to the biggest race of the year, the Daytona 500. And after the break, we're going to hear what it's like to win the Daytona 500. On February 22nd, Toothless, the Night Fury Dragon, and his pal Hiccup come flying back into theaters in DreamWorks Animations, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Jay Baruchel and America Ferrara star in the third and final chapter of this family-friendly adventure that you won't want to miss. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, in theaters February 22nd. I guess uh, also another memorable moment for me was my first Daytona 500. Joey Logano, one of five drivers starting their first Daytona 500. I remember running five or six laps. Hey, and then the tires started wearing out, and I was sawing on the wheel. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to make 500 miles here. And yeah, I didn't make it about 40 laps before I crashed into the Daytona 500. Joey Logano slamming the inside retaining wall. And it's a hard hit for the 18-year-old from Middletown, Connecticut. It was a tough weekend for me, so I remember that a lot. But for your first race, finishing last, to you know, eventually winning the Daytona 500 that moment is, uh, is incredible. Um, you know, it's, it's second compared to winning the championship at this point, but for the longest time, that was that was the biggest thing I've done in my racing career. Well, I'll be the first to say, I don't think even I appreciated the Daytona 500 as much until I finally won it as a crew chief. It was career changing, like nothing I could have ever dreamt of. It is not, the joke is, people that say it's just like every other race has never won the Daytona 500. That moment in time when I watched that car come off turn four through the trioval, and you know, you kind of hold your breath because it could still go wrong. When it finally makes it to the start finish line, it was surreal, uh, truly life-changing. I mean, how do you pick? It's like having multiple children, right? You're the three-time winner, DJ. <laughs> this one right here. So Dale Jr. and I, surprisingly, the last two years were second. We were second both years before this final win to know that I was leaving at the end of the year to give Dale Jr. somebody that I owe so much to his second Daytona 500, but he's got two. DJ, you got three. I mean, you're, you're like Tom Brady status when it comes to Daytona 500. <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I'm not in Tom Brady status, <laughs> but uh, congratulations to him again. That's unbelievable. But, you know, I, I learned at an early age just how much this race meant. I, being around my dad and, and others, and you'd see the disappointment. My dad was leading the race with just under two laps to go in 1963 and ran out of gas. And I saw after that race just how, how disappointed he was with that. And so I kind of came to understand just how big this was. And then you get into it and you see everything going on around it and, and the history of the sport. You, you see, you know, Kale and, and Donnie uh, out fighting and Bobby <laughs> stops by and joins in the melee and, and all the other things that take place. Dell Earnhardt had won everything else at Daytona, but the things that started happening with him, uh, 
I think it was 1990 that he lost to Derek Cope going into turn three. You talk about it's yeah. never over till it's over, really. And, and to see things like that and the disappointment that, that he had until he was finally able to win in 1998. For me to have the success uh, with good race cars, great people around me, and being able to have the good fortune of, of things happening, this is my first one. Fortunately, I only had to keep Dell Earnhardt behind me for a little less than a lap on that one because you don't want to see that three car uh, in your mirror there very often. But very fortunate. But it's a, it's a life-changing experience. Uh, it really is. And, and you know, people say that, but it's really the, the honest truth. You're, you're always known. You mentioned this earlier. You're always known as a Daytona 500 champion when you win that. And, and things happen to you. Uh, things come your way uh, more than if you don't. So I was very fortunate. I have two two things in my career that, well, more than two, but two stick out in my career as things that I regret. And one of them is not winning the Daytona 500, and the other one is not taking enough time to realize when my brother won the Daytona 500, how big that was and not mm -hmm. going, you know, you get in this thing, you got to go home, got to go home, yeah. and not going to celebrate, you know, my brother winning the Daytona 500. And, and in retrospect, you know, the, how special it is when I go to his house and that Daytona 500 trophy is sitting there, I'm like, wow, it's Daytona 500. It's just, man, it's so big and it means so much to the sport. Uh, Daytona's entrenched in NASCAR history and to win there is just is an amazing thing. And to be a Daytona 500 champion, and that's, you've said it before, that's what you are. You're not oh, yeah. a Daytona 500 winner. You're a Southern yeah. 500 winner. You're a Daytona 500 champion. It's a big deal. Well, there's something about that race, and I can't explain it very well, but the last 20 laps, there's more energy, and it builds lap after lap. I tell everyone, it, it, it's like chess at 200 miles an hour. Because now you're 450, 460, 470 miles in. Started with 40 cars. You know 28, 30, 32 cars. They don't have a chance. They haven't done everything right. But there's six or eight or nine cars up there in the front two or three, four rows, and they still have a chance. And, and Dale and I have had this conversation. And you know every lap, the guy that wins the 500 is the one that ran the most perfect laps to finish. Didn't make one mistake. Didn't pull out a line. As a crew chief, you're truly a fan at this point. No one pits with three to go in the 500. So you sit there and you watch it, and it truly, it's the most beautiful thing in the world to watch the best in the world at their craft. And, and, and it continues to change. That's what I love about it. We see the highlights. That was a hard-fought battle, but it looked very different than perhaps when we saw Ryan Newman win it too wide to the line or a couple years ago when it was, what, Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex. And this year's closing laps will still be totally different. Every race is its own sort of, uh, you know, its own sort of energy as the race winds down. You know, as I watch the races now and see this and this laps wind down, my hands uh, get yeah. sweaty and I have nothing in it, but I understand the magnitude of what's getting ready to happen to one of the drivers that, that's going to get there first. And these finishes have been incredible, but you know, as I said, it's a life-changing experience and, and you want everybody to be able to feel that, but it doesn't happen for everyone. So uh, it's just amazing to watch and the talent and, and doing everything right. Who's going to do it this coming Sunday and put everything together? I'm fired up. I'm ready to see it. So coming up, we'll give some shout outs, including one for a crew member who made his long away to return to the track this past weekend. Tonight, right here on NBCSN is the Battle of Pennsylvania. Claude Giroux and the Red Hot Flyers 10-1-1 in their last 12. Host Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. Join us for NHL Live at the top of the hour. Well, welcome back to NASCAR America. And guys, before we call it a day here in Charlotte, I think we should give some shout outs. And there's no better place to start 
Then with Stuart Haas Racing crew member Daniel Smith, the rear tire changer for the 14, stepped away from his duties last August after being diagnosed with cancer, and now he's back to work. Has to be great, and it's wonderful to see him back at the racetrack. Yeah, that's an awesome story, and yeah. you know I, I want to go. I, I want to go with a shout out. I want to go to David Hoots. For those in the sport, uh, David Hoots is a guy that's been around since the mid '80s. Uh, you hear his voice if you scan. Uh, he's the race director, been there forever. This is his last Daytona 500, and one of the people in the sport that knows every single rule. Like oh, he yeah. knows them Everyone. all. It's yeah. crazy what he knows, and more importantly, he'll take time to explain them to you in. Tough situations. He'll yep. take time and sit down, and he's a he's a really good guy. One of the favorites in the garage. I like you yeah. said that because he's explained a few to me, <laughs> um, and I'm glad he said they were tough situations. I was just happened to say if you get in trouble with Mr. Hooch, you get invited to the truck after the race. He sits down yeah. and explains how you didn't know what was going on, but he did, and he's never been wrong. Kind of yeah. disappointed me. Former a bit. UPS employee too. Did that both jobs for a long time, but was yeah. always at the racetrack, and as you said, always willing to talk to you about whatever situation you might be in. Well, and listen, there's only one guy. Everybody scans him. His voice on the radio sounds <laughs> like no one. one. Oh, put it out. Put, put it, it out. out. Three and four. That's it right there. It's a crew Post chief. the 24. Oh, don't say me that. Personally, I like it better when it's new leader. New leader is what he used to say. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be great to see David down at Daytona. He's meant so much for the sport. Yep. And uh, my shout-out is to the uh, NASCAR America Fantasy League, uh, getting back in it. I think they left this for me because I finished last, and this is our last thing. Uh, or I was close to the last. Anyway, I'm going to put a little bit more effort and be – except this week, we get started. How do you – how do you go about picking the people and picking your roster and think about the stages at this point? Just incredible because so much is going to happen. This is going to be a very entertaining 500, but looking forward to the Fantasy League. Well, and you got to remember, you got a restriction. You can only use a driver so many times, so you got to put them all in at the Daytona 500. I mean, we saw how the clash finished. We perhaps could see a few of those in the Daytona 500. This is my race not to use the ones I'm going to use next week. I'm going to... Pick some underdogs this week. That's yeah, my, that's here's the thing, point. guys, though. We're talking about the Daytona 500 being like it. There's going to be more races like the Daytona 500 where they're going to be a little more unpredictable, too, especially here the first part of the season, I believe. So who's your pick? Who wins the 500? Uh, Joey Logano. Ooh, that was my guy. That's where I was going. Where you? I'm picking Chase Elliott for sure. Well, that's it here from Charlotte. Just a reminder, tomorrow, Dale Jr. download here on NBCSN. Next up, NHL Live. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.